Girlfriends, episode number 293, How to Handle Your Husband. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week we are talking about how to handle your husband. Do you need some advice here? Let's dive into this one. Hello, thank you for joining me for this week's episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. If you're a new listener to Girlfriends, I want to give you a special welcome. Thanks for showing up. Thank you for checking us out. I hope you're going to enjoy what we share here and want to become a regular part of the Girlfriends community. Those of you who've been here before, welcome back. I'm always happy to be able to connect with you here through the podcast. So this week, hmm, not a controversial subject at all. How to handle your husband? Hmm. Well, okay, this is on my mind because... Um, My husband, Dan, recently had an opportunity to write something professionally, and he wrote about um, that passage from Ephesians 5. You know the one I'm talking about. The one that um, maybe sometimes we prefer to skip when it's read as the gospel passage or um, use the shortened version. It was recently one of the Sunday readings, and um, the parish where we were at wasn't our home parish. We happened to be out of town that weekend, and the parish there just used this extremely short version of it, so it kind of skipped all the controversial parts of it. I don't know if that was done on purpose or if they always read the shortened version, but regardless, it was um, interesting to note that. And so this is a passage that people, I regularly get comments from people who want to know my take on it, like this idea of women submitting to their husbands, like what what is my take on that? How how can we talk about that? And I thought, let's talk about that in the, in the context of how to handle your husband. This is something that I think an idea that sometimes we is appealing to us, this idea that we need to somehow handle our husbands. <laughs> they need us. They need us to do that. But I want to I want to share a little bit of a different perspective on that. I was so struck by the 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 beautiful way that Dan approached this topic in what he wrote. And if I can get permission to share it, I will. But it's it's not yet published, so hold on, hold your horses for that. If you want to read some of Dan's writing, you can read it in the manual for marriage that we wrote together. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the manuals, the series of manuals through Tan Books, you can go to tanbooks.com, look up. Danielle Bean and my manual for women will come up, but also the manual for marriage that I had the opportunity to write together with Dan. And the manuals are really beautiful. They're these little books that are just very prayerful. There's a a wealth of resources at the back of them. In this one, it's prayers for marriage and prayers for couples and, you know, wisdom from the saints and scripture passages that are relevant for marriage. And in the front, Dan and I um, went kind of back and forth sharing on topics related to marriage. And I loved that opportunity to get to write together with my husband. I loved hearing his perspective and what he had to share on that topic. It really was a wonderful experience writing that book. I was a little hesitant when we signed that contract. I was like, Okay, now what did I sign up for here? This is probably going to be a nightmare. And some parts of it were hard. It was challenging in some ways, but it was a beautiful experience for us in our own marriage. And I'm really proud of that little book that we we put together. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you're interested in checking that out. But I, I was touched by what Dan shared on on that topic and you know, just taking on that that passage from Ephesians 5. So let's let's get started by let's just read it. Okay. I'm just gonna read that passage for you to kind of set the context 
for what we're talking about here today. And in Ephesians chapter five, we read, wives, subject yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are parts of his body. Okay, so this is the controversial passage, right? How do we how do we even begin to talk about this? How do we take this? And so before we talk about the how to handle your husband, the ways in which I might recommend doing that, I'm going to just share with you that early on, before we were married, I kind of struggled with this passage. I was taking a course in college, which was Theology of the Family, and we were kind of looking at this passage. And I remember really just grappling with it. And Dan and I, I don't even remember if we were engaged at that time or if we were just, you know, dating seriously, but I kind of thought I was going to marry him. And reading this passage, I just, I just really struggled with it. And I I went to my dad, who's a philosophy professor, and I really respect his opinion. And, you know, just academically, he's just such an accomplished person. And so I went to him and just kind of asked about it. And his description of this, I, I cannot remember my dad's exact words, but they were just so loving and so gentle. And basically, he was explaining to me that you can't just read this passage and try to accept it at face value outside of the context of relationship. This is all about relationship. This is all about love and giving of yourself to another person, the the wife to the husband and the husband to the wife, that, you know, that it wasn't just about me reading this and being like, oh, a husband needs to be head of his wife. And that doesn't sound fair. That doesn't sound right. And it was about me reading about subjecting myself to Dan, who I knew loved me in such a deep way and was willing to sacrifice himself for me. That's a, that's a different kind of context. That's a different kind of love. It's kind of easy to submit to somebody under those circumstances. I can trust myself to somebody like that, somebody who loves me like that. So, you know, when I, when I thought about it in terms of the context of my loving relationship with Dan, it made it entirely different. It wasn't this kind of cold calculating what's fair and what's right. It was understood in the context of a loving relationship and it made a ton of sense. Um, So that was my first kind of foray into exploring this passage. But, you know, now that we've been married for 27 years, I I feel like I I understand it even more. And um, this idea of how to handle your husband is sort of a culturally popular thing, right? We kind of think in some way, even if you reject a lot of the, the culture's standards and values, in some way by osmosis, we pick up some of the values of the culture. And one of them is this idea that we need to handle our husbands. We can't let him be the boss of us. We can't let him control us. We're we're strong and we're empowered women and we need to be the boss of ourselves and we need to stand up for ourselves and we need to put him in his place. And there is something about that that is just 
on a very cultural level, a popular notion and can be very appealing at face value to, to women from all walks of life, even faithful Catholic women who, who want otherwise, who would reject cultural values in many other ways. This is sort of, it's seeped into our hearts in some ways, these, these kinds of worldly values, this worldly perspective on marriage and on relationships. So if that's you, I want to challenge you to reflect on some of the ways that perhaps cultural values have seeped into your heart in a way that is detrimental to your own happiness in your own relationship with your husband. All right. So the first way that I recommend that women handle their husbands is listen to him. Yeah. You probably don't see that as handling your husband, but this is how you handle it. This is how you handle your relationship with him. Listen to him. Because in this passage from Ephesians, it's so clear that, you know, women are called to submit themselves to their husbands as to the Lord. It's it's that clear. And so many times I hear from people who are kind of struggling, like, how do I know God's will for my life? How do I discern what God is calling me to do? And I struggle with this. And, you know, one recent example I want to share with you that really illustrated that God provides that kind of guidance for us oftentimes through our husbands. He speaks to us through our husbands, through those who have legitimate authority over us in this world. Maybe that's going to be a priest. Maybe that's going to be your husband. Maybe that's going to be a teacher. Maybe it's a bishop. Maybe it's a father of the church or a doctor of the church. Maybe it's a great saint. God speaks to us through these things. And your husband is one of them. So listen to him. I recently experienced this in a very powerful way. And in, in just the other day, I've been dealing with, and I'm not going to, I can't share details of, of what this is all about. And I hate it when people talk vaguely about things. <laughs> there are people who like post on Instagram, like vague posting, and it drives me nuts where they're like, you know, just vaguely referencing dramatic happenings and goings on. There's nothing really dramatic going on, but I can't share details beyond. There was a situation, there's, it's an ongoing situation that I have some unrest about and some uneasiness about. And I'm not sure which direction to go in and I'm weighing some different options. Anyway, it had been bothering me. And just, just yesterday, my husband and I, we went for a walk and it had been a little while since we had done that. And it was an opportunity for us to just kind of talk about it, kind of a check-in about this thing that's been weighing on me and I've been wrestling with and having anxiety about and unrest about, not sure what God wants for me there. And I was just talking it through with Dan and, and you know, in the course of like a 45 minute walk, he just, he shared with me his own perspective on it and wasn't anything really, you know, all that profound or earth shattering, but it had such clarity for me. He had such clarity of perspective on it. And I just very much through his words, you know, literally what he was saying to me was kind of just, you know, be at peace right now where you are and, and wait to see what, what happens next and, you know, be patient with that process of this thing that you're dealing with. And I very much could hear God speaking to me through Dan in what he was sharing with me and in, in his advice and his, his words on that topic. And this is something, you know, that I had been bringing to prayer every single day and saying, you know, Lord, just show me what your will is. Show me what your will is. Help me to know your will. Help me to know how to handle this. Help me to know what to do, how to handle this right now, next week, in a month. Let me know. I just want, I want to know so I can do it. And kind of almost feeling frustrated and exasperated and doing that on a daily basis and not feeling like I had that kind of clarity of communication and what God wanted me to do. But I absolutely had it in that conversation with Dan. And I just knew that God was speaking to me through him. And this passage came to mind, you know, subject 
yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. Wives are called to do that. The Lord speaks to us through them. He guides us through them. And that is so powerful in its ability to bring about peace in your life. If you are struggling with something, uh, you know, bringing it to your husband and asking for his direction and his guidance, maybe he's not going to have magic answers for you. But, you know, if you're prayerfully bringing these things to God and then talking to your husband about them, you know, God can use your husband in that way. He can speak to you through him, through the words that he's going to share. It's just a beautiful way that God provides for us. And rather than seeing Ephesians 5 as this challenge to me and this this challenge to my own autonomy and my independence and, you know, I can do it myself and why why do I have to submit? And, you know, kind of that that rebellious nature that some sometimes this can evoke. Rather than seeing it that way, this this recent experience in conversation with Dan really made me see it as this is a huge gift to me. Marriage, my marriage is a huge gift to me in this way. The way that my husband has this kind of spiritual authority over me is an incredible gift. That I can hear God's voice through him is a beautiful gift. Now, that doesn't mean your husband is always right. It doesn't mean that, you know, your husband is always a mouthpiece for the Lord, but that he can play this role. Be aware of that and listen to him. Be turning to him in the way that God calls on us to. I think that's a a beautiful way to, quote unquote, handle your husband. All right. Second one uh, that I want to talk about, the second way of how to handle your husband is give up. Stop, stop, stop trying to make things even. This is such a stumbling block for so many of us. We have this notion that we have to have equality in our marriages, and that means everything needs to be even. That means we need to split chores evenly. I've had good friends that have driven themselves crazy trying to make sure all of the household tasks are divided perfectly evenly, and no one's ever doing more than the other person. And for sure, you know, you're never doing more than your fair share of the quote unquote women's work, you know, the preparing meals or caring for kids or bath time or bedtime or blah, 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 whatever it is. Like, stop it. You're making yourself nuts. And that's that's not how it works. It's not how marriage works. You know, making a gift of yourself to another person, there's no mention in there of counting the costs. <laughs> And tallying it all up and and making sure that you're never giving more than 50% in any particular category of household duties. And this, you know, of course, this applies beyond household duties, but that's one place where it really, really kind of comes to a head. Try to make things even. It's going to drive you crazy and you can't do it. And yes, we are equal in dignity before God. Of course, that that is a given. But that doesn't mean we're going to play the same roles in our family lives. It doesn't mean that the workload is always going to be evenly shared. It doesn't mean it's always going to come out even and look fair to you. So recognize that. Recognize the ways in which you're different and then give thanks to God that you are different. What a gift that is. What a gift that you are able to you know, provide differently for your family, play different roles in your family life as husband, as wife, as father, and as mother. It's a beautiful part of God's plan. And that's that's such a beautiful gift to yourself, to your spouse, to your kids, to not not be so caught up in this notion of making things come out even because there's a real stinginess and a real selfishness that kind of underlies that kind of attitude. And in giving yourself over to another person, as you do in the vocation of marriage, you're meant to make a gift of yourself to your spouse in marriage. 
There's no room in there for counting the costs. There's no room in there for tallying it up and making sure the chores always come out perfectly evenly and nobody's getting taken advantage of. Yes, if there are basic things that you're unhappy about, for sure it's legitimate to talk about it and for sure it's legitimate to ask for help with things. But what I'm talking about is this underlying attitude, this kind of obsession that we can sometimes fall into out of a sense of fairness and justice and making sure we're not being taken advantage of, making sure as women we're being respected, you know, just to kind of be focused on wanting to split everything 50-50. You're going to drive yourself crazy. You're going to hurt your relationship. You're going to forget what your marriage actually is and what your call is and the vocation of marriage when you become focused on selfish goals like that. Okay, and then this one is related to the third way that I want to encourage you to handle your husband. And that is let him be the man God made him to be. And this is something we we struggle with, especially in our culture today that thinks that there should be no differences between the sexes. God did indeed make us different. And he didn't make all men the same. He didn't make all women the same. But there are ways in which we are fundamentally different. We're unique because we are male, because we are female. Allow him to be a man. And there's a lot that's countercultural about that. And so this, this doesn't mean, you know, like this, this notion that we sometimes get when we read that, that, that passage in Ephesians, like that's not fair because we have the idea that someone who's the head of another is going to be, you know, using it to the detriment of the other, using their authority to the detriment of the other, but that's not love. And what, what is right there in that passage that God is calling on men to love their wives as they love their own bodies, as Christ loves the church. That's a beautiful, self-giving kind of love. So he's calling on them to be like that, to make a full gift of themselves. So, you know, in, in trusting that, then trust, trust your husband to be a man. Trust him to be different from you. This is sometimes the, the, the challenge that we have. And, and I know I've experienced this too, especially with parenting. Sometimes we women, we, we do like, obviously so many of us are doing the lion's share of childcare. And especially when the kids are little, we're, the, we're more often than not the one who's the most hands-on with our kids. And so we feel like we know it, we're the experts in it. And so the temptation then is to kind of step in when he's doing something, when he's interacting with a young child or, or your child of any age and tell them how to do it because it's different from us or to devalue it because it's different from how we would do it. Everything from how they load the dishwasher to how they handle um, a play date to how they go to the park to how they drive to the grocery store with a little kid. You know, all of these things are different. And yet our our temptation is to, to reject their way of doing things because it's different from our way. But recognize what a gift it is. Recognize that it's a gift that he communicates differently that he he thinks differently, that he feels things differently, that he has different reactions and different perspectives on things. That's a real gift. And to me, it's been most enlightening to realize that in our relationship, that the more I allow Dan to be different from me and don't try to be the man in whatever it is, you know, whatever it is, like whether you're, you're trying to be the man by, you know, stepping in and playing a masculine role in some way. So many of us women do that in a way, in a way that kind of moves our, our husbands out of the picture as husbands and as fathers. The less we do that and the more we try to hold ourselves back from correcting them or stepping in to intervene when they do things differently from us, the more you allow them to become 
the men that God made them to be. The reciprocal gift is that we are opened up, we're freed, we're liberated to become the women that God meant for us to be, to be the wives and the mothers that God meant for us to be. It frees us up. If you're not trying to be the husband and the father and the wife and the mother, being all the things, then it opens up space for you to fully embrace who you are, fully embrace who God made you to be with the unique gifts and strengths that God has given you to live out that calling. We are all, as women, uniquely gifted in the art of feminine genius, this gift that we have to love and nurture and care for the people that God places in our lives. Of course, we the details of that look different for everybody. We're all going to do that in different ways. But because we are women, we do have that unique capacity for self-giving, motherly, nurturing love in all of our relationships. What a gift that is to the world. But we cannot fully embrace that gift. We cannot fully give that gift to the world if we're busy trying to be something else, or if we're busy trying to control our husbands, or if we're busy trying to tell our husbands to be something other than what God made them to be. There's nothing more sexist than our culture, which tells us, first of all, that men and women are the same, or that tells women to be something other than they are in order to find, quote unquote, success in the world, to deny what's written on our very hearts, the things that we naturally value, which are relationships family, focused on loving and giving of ourselves to others. We know in our hearts that is written on our hearts that that is something that we're uniquely good at, that is something we're built for, and that's where we're going to find meaning and purpose in everything we do in this life. That doesn't mean we can't do other things. We can't do awesome things in academia, in the workplace. Of course we can, but it does it, it what it means is that the most important thing we're going to do is going to be that answering that unique call to motherhood whatever that looks like for any woman we're all called to a form of motherhood in our lives that means the unique way that we're called to love and nurture and give of ourselves to the people that God places in our lives. That can be in the workplace. That can be with adoptive children. That can be as an aunt. That can be as a teacher, as a doctor, as a grandmother, as a neighbor. All these ways that God calls on us to love and nurture the people he places in our lives. For many of us, that's our own husbands and our own kids. We know that we have a unique capacity for that. We know we are uniquely called to do that. And we know that that's the most meaningful work we'll ever do. Look at sometimes the stories you'll see of these fantastically successful and accomplished women in the world in the workplace who will leave it all behind to have a family. It's still written on their hearts. They're still answering that call. They're still valuing that above what the world tells them to value. So recognize that, that we're different. We're made differently. We're wired differently. And what a gift that is. And what a gift it is to you when you allow your husband to be himself, to be who God made him to be, allow him to step into that masculine role. It frees you up and allows you to step into your feminine role. And now, I do need to say, some of you are hearing me say this and you're like, I am not that kind of frilly, girly girl with the flowers and the pink and the hearts. And that's not what I'm talking about. That's not authentic femininity. That's not what we mean. 
Yes, that's great if you like that kind of thing, but don't let that be an obstacle to you becoming the woman that God made you to be and recognizing your natural feminine gifts and strengths that God has placed inside of you that are going to be different. They're going to play out differently in the lives of each of us. We all have unique vocations and callings. And sometimes that kind of schmaltzy idea of like what femininity means, like the hearts and flowers and the pink and wearing, you know, frilly dresses and that sort of thing. Sometimes that becomes an obstacle to some women. I hear women sometimes that tell me that's not me. I don't understand this like feminine genius thing. That's not the feminine genius. That's not what it is. And so recognize that this unique capacity we have spiritually, physically, emotionally to be a source of nurturing love to others, self-giving, nurturing love, this unique capacity we have for it as women, that is meant to be a gift to the world. And we can only fully embrace it and fully give it to the world if we'll stop trying to do all the other things. And that doesn't mean you're never going to do other things. But if we're, we've stopped trying to embrace other roles and, and deny what's written on our hearts. So allow him to be who God made him to be. And the consequence is going to be a happy one for you because then you can more fully become the person that God made you to be. And together, together, you are a unique gift to your family. It's a beautiful, beautiful plan that God has for the family, providing a mother and a father. That's every child's right. And it's a beautiful gift. So recognize that. All right, the last way that I want to encourage you to quote unquote, handle your husband is to just love him. This is a tough thing. I know because we want to fix him. So maybe you clicked on this episode and you're like, yep, I need to learn how to handle my husband because he does this wrong and that wrong. And I need to fix this and I need to have him do this. Well, oftentimes the answer to all of these ways that we want to fix our husbands is first and foremost, just to love him. Love him exactly where he is. That doesn't mean you're not going to encourage him or challenge him or present him with opportunities for change, present him with ways that he can grow. That doesn't mean he's exactly perfect the way that he is and that God isn't calling him to make changes and corrections in his life. Yep, all of that can be very true, but you're still called to love him. You're still called to be his support system, his encourager, his wife. So just love him. And, you know, there was um, a while back, I was talking with a friend of mine. We were talking about different kinds of challenges in our family life. And I was sharing something about um, a way that I was kind of feeling like, hmm, maybe, maybe Dan could maybe do this differently. Or I was kind of thinking about the ways in which I might kind of nudge him toward what I thought should be, you know, a plan for his life or God's plan for his life. And I interrupted myself because I kind of had a thought in the moment as I was sharing this with my friend, like, uh, I'm just going to love him. He just needs me to love him right now. And anytime your husband, especially if he's going through a hard time and you're trying to come up with solutions for him, start there. Start with loving him, whatever that means in your relationship, whatever way that you can kind of care for him and you know, love him and support him and encourage him. That's what we're meant to be. It's not good for a man to be alone, right? Neither of us, man or woman. And we're meant to be that source of support for each other. And that's what your marriage is meant to be. You're meant to be that gift. So just start there. Start with love. And and the other things are going to fall into place and fall into perspective if that is first and foremost in place. And that kind of brings us back, full circle, back to where we were when I was saying, you can't understand the passage of Ephesians 5 outside of the context of love. You can't. 
It doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound right. We want to reject it if it's outside of love. And I have seen this in practice in some people's lives in tragic ways when when love is taken out of that equation, then it does become a lording over. And um, in both ways, when you take love out of that equation in a marriage, that's not God's plan. This, this here in Ephesians 5, what we are reading is God's plan for marriage. And it's all about loving gift of self to the other, loving submission and playing different roles in that capacity. One of my favorite lines from that movie, my big fat Greek wedding, I hear it all the time from people who also love it. So probably you're familiar with it too, is when um, the older lady, the older character in that talks about how her husband is head of the family, but she's the neck. And so that means she can turn the head to the direction that he thinks he ought to be turned. And I really love that because it's so respectful of the roles that we play as men and women, especially in marriage, that this idea of head of the family, sometimes we think, oh, that's the person who's going to, who's going to, you know, boss everybody around. They always get their own way. That's such a childish way of looking at that. The, The head of the family, that's a huge responsibility a huge undertaking, a role of leadership that often is burdensome and requires a great deal of sacrifice. And yet as as wives, and we wives have played this role throughout history, we do have the privilege of that influence on our husbands, of letting him know that, that, you know, helping him with communication, helping him to focus on the things that um, might be important, that he might be overlooking. We're able to, because of our feminine perspective, kind of offer him that gift, that gift of a different perspective and, and help him to see a more full picture. The way that their uniquely masculine perspective helps us to see a more full picture. So those are my ways that I wanted to share. And I hope you're not disappointed that I didn't give you a nice list of ways to get your husband in line. But the ways that you can handle your husband, first, listen to him. Oftentimes, God will speak to you through the words of your husband in surprising ways. Two, don't try to make things even. Give that up. Number three, let him be himself. And then number four, just love him. You might have some ways that this has inspired you to share about how to handle your husband. What are your thoughts on Ephesians 5? How have you experienced that or some of the things that we've shared about here today in the show in your own marriage? I would love to hear from you. You can email me, danielle at daniellebean.com or connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I am Danielle Bean on all of social media, so you can find me any of those places. All right, coming up, we've got more of the show for you with some listener feedback, but first, a quick break. I'm Danielle Bean, and you're listening to The Girlfriends Podcast. Okay, here's the gut check right here, because if nothing changes, nothing changes. Do you want to be holy? And do you want to be an instrument of renewal in this world? And if so, do you believe it's possible? Do you know what it looks like? Do you know where to begin? Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. My name is Father Mark Mary. I'm a Franciscan friar of the Renewal, and I wrote a book called Habits for Holiness, and it pulls from over 800 years of Franciscan tradition, wisdom, and experience of radical and total discipleship in the midst of the world, but in a way which begins with little steps and works not only for religion, not only for priests, but for everybody. The change you desire is possible. The conversion you desire is possible. The renewal you desire is possible. The healing you desire is possible. And it begins with little steps. So to guide you on your way and to help you make the next best step of renewal in your life, I'd invite you to pick up a copy of my book, Habits for Holiness. God bless you. 
Welcome back. Now we're at the point in the show where I like to share a little bit of listener feedback. Sometimes a listener question, a topic that they want me to take up here. If that's you, if you have a question you want me to take up in this segment of the podcast, email it to me, danielle at daniellebean.com. This week, I heard from Elaine on Instagram. If you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm Danielle Bean there, and it's a great way for us to communicate. I love connecting with podcast listeners there. So Elaine is a listener who's on Instagram, and she reached out and said, how can I begin instilling virtue even in my young toddler? Especially, I want to teach obedience to him, but his favorite word is no. Okay. Love the question. It's something I think many of us can relate to. Um, and especially if this is your first child, Elaine, this is something that, um, you know, it's it doesn't come naturally to us. And sometimes as, as parents, we find ourselves kind of like, okay, now what do I do? He said, no. Like, what, what do I do now? And um, I took up this topic actually recently on Instagram. Um, I had a different question from somebody else along the same lines in an Instagram live that I did there. And I've been doing those a little bit regularly now. I'm, my goal is to do them once a week. I'm not quite perfect about keeping that schedule, but that is my goal for like, you know, a half hour each week, just taking people's questions um, with a the live there. So if you want to check those out, go over to Danielle Bean on Instagram. I, I'd love to be able to connect with you there. Um, but so I take up, I took up this topic um, because I had a similar question from somebody else about teaching virtue to toddlers and teaching obedience to kids in a general sense. And and here's what I shared, that um, one major principle that I can look back on and see now that applies to parenting toddlers is it's really important when it comes to obedience to teach your kids that you mean what you say the first time that you say it. Ah, that's the key. Because otherwise we get into these habits of what I call lazy parenting, and I'm allowed to call it that because I've done it myself. I'm not judging, okay? I understand. <laughs> I understand lazy parenting. I've been there myself. Like you're sitting and you're you're reading a book or you're making dinner or you're you're nursing the baby and you just can't get up and go intervene right now with with making your toddler obey, but that's what you need to do. And there's a real investment here. It takes discipline on our parts to instill this kind of discipline in our kids. And so what that means is like, say you've you've told your toddler, it's time to put the toys away. You know, we're going to clean up now and, and get ready to go out or something like that. And they tell you no. Well, you can sit in your spot where, you know, doing whatever you're doing or being distracted and just say it again and say it again and say it again, say it 10,000 times, and then finally scream it at them and lose your cool and then maybe they'll do it. Well, what, what lesson did you just teach them? That first of all, that you don't mean what you say the first time and that when mom really means it, she's going to yell. So I'll wait for that. <laughs> That's a really unpleasant thing. That's unpleasant for you. That's unpleasant for them. It it leads to a chaotic environment. It leads to an undisciplined toddler and it's undisciplined parenting. So what you actually have to do instead is the hard thing. But the good news is when you invest in doing the hard thing, then it pays off over time. Because if you invest in doing the hard thing, which is getting up, going over and enforcing the behavior that you want, even if it's going to result in a tantrum, you know, we're cleaning up now, we're putting away the toys now, we're going to be getting ready to leave now, you're putting on your jacket now, whatever it is, you know, that, that tells them that you mean it the first time. So if you say it and they don't do it, and then you go and you intervene and you make it happen, then they know, or you provide consequences for saying no, or for not doing it on their own immediately. 
But that requires discipline on our part. It requires interrupting ourselves sometimes. And it's not convenient sometimes. And sometimes the most convenient thing is to just let it slide. Or sometimes the most convenient thing is to just do it yourself when you're asked, you're tempted to ask them to do something and you think, oh, no, it's going to be a battle, right? But if you're making that investment at the outset, the good news is as they get older, you've you've worked on that. You've invested in creating this, this mindset that you actually mean what you say, and that there are consequences if they don't do it. That's a huge gift to you as a mom. It's a huge time saver in the long run. And it's going to lead to a more pleasant interaction between you all days, every day, every minute of every day is going to be more pleasant as a result of that. So I know it takes discipline, but that really is my number one recommendation. I'm in no way have I been perfect at this. And I totally get the challenges and you're going to have times when you aren't able to enforce it perfectly. But as a general principle, I find there's nothing more helpful than that. Knowing, just investing your time and your energy in teaching your kids, starting at a very young age, that you mean what you say when you say it the first time. It's so vitally important. Well, if you have thoughts to share on that, maybe thoughts for Elaine who's struggling with a toddler who loves to say no, or if you're dealing with your own toddler who loves to say no and you've got some tips to share, we'd love to hear them from you so that I could potentially share them on a future episode of Girlfriends. Send them to me, danielle at daniellebean.com or let's connect on social media. I'm Danielle Bean on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Well, before we have to wrap up, I just want to ask you, if you enjoy the Girlfriends podcast, if you enjoy what we share here, if you value it, please share it with others. Please help us get the word out. Word of mouth is so important to us. It's so valuable when you share with somebody, maybe just texting a friend a link, maybe sharing on your social media, maybe sharing with your women's group that you enjoy the Girlfriends podcast. It's a wonderful and powerful way that you can help us to grow our community of listeners here at Girlfriends. Another powerful thing you can do is leave a review, especially on iTunes, a rating and review for the Girlfriends podcast wonderful way to help us get the word out about the podcast. So if you can just take a moment, if you can spare a moment right now, click on over to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a rating and review for Girlfriends. It really does speak volumes to those who provide access to podcasts to let them know what other kind of people might enjoy listening to the show and helping us to put the show in front of more potential listeners. So that is really a very valuable gift that you can give to us here at the podcast. So thank you so much for considering doing doing that. And in the meantime, I just want to thank you for being here. I am truly grateful that you show up. I'm grateful for this time that we get to spend together every week. I know you're busy. I know you're doing many things. So it means the world to me that you take some time for us right here on Girlfriends each week. Thank you so much for that. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. 